Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to Let's Huddle with Ed Cunningham, a show at the intersection of sports, sports media, Hollywood, and hopefully life itself. I'm the host and producer of the show, Ed. In this episode, we huddle with Lincoln Kennedy, which is actually part one of a two-part conversation. Lincoln played for the Raiders and was broadcasting earlier this fall when John Gruden resigned. So in part two, which actually released first, Lincoln on Gruden, you can hear his thoughts and the betrayal he felt when Gruden resigned. So in this first part, it's more evergreen. We're here to get to know Lincoln. He is smart, thoughtful, and he's had a roller coaster of a career. Started with a flame out with the Atlanta Falcons, that successful run under Al Davis and the Raiders, and then transitioning into broadcasting. It's great to hear his take on how things went down. One program note, there is a bit of a pop in the audio early on, and we muted a curse word late in the show, so we didn't have to put explicit on this because it didn't feel like it fit the content. This is Lincoln on Lincoln. You and I played together at the University of Washington, uh, had some good times. I, I saw in I saw in your bio, uh, you started three consecutive Rose Bowls. That's, that's pretty impressive to think about that run uh, that we were on. So we win the national championship. By the way, 30th anniversary. Happy anniversary uh, <laughs> for the 91 team that won the championship. But as you left Washington, you're consensus All-American. You're now in the Hall of Fame for college football. Congratulations on that. Um, you go to the NFL. You get drafted by the Falcons. And it doesn't quite go as planned. You know, you you didn't quite – I mean, I know you started as a rookie and then, you know, sort of back and forth and then you get traded. What, what went down in Atlanta? What was that transition like for you from Washington where we, you know, obviously had a, a, a tremendous coach and Don James and an unbelievable program? Uh, what was the transition like to you uh, going to Atlanta? It, it, was, it was different. It was quite painful. I, I went into the NFL draft – um, in 92 or 93, whatever we year it was, it, it just wanting to be the first offensive lineman taken. That's all I had. I didn't know where I was going to go. I was projected top 10. Um, but there were a lot of, there were a lot of teams in, and I remember, you know, um, Joe Bugle was, a, a the head coach at Arizona. Yeah, I was, I was playing for yeah. him. Yeah. And so, you know, coach talked to me quite a few times and said he liked me, but, he said that the fact is that Tony Mandridge messed it up for tackles to go in the top five. <laughs> Anybody who wants to know the Tony Mandridge story, just search that up. It's quite fascinating. Yeah, exactly. So he didn't know if he was going to pick me, but he wanted he wanted me there. He wanted to be a Cardinal. So I didn't know where I was going to go, long story short. So I, I, I was actually the second lineman taken. Willie Rolfe came out of Louisiana Tech, went to New Orleans and picked number eight. So Atlanta called me. Ken Herock was the, the team president back then. And he was like, our plan for you is to have Bob Whitfield, who went to Stanford, who graduated, who came out the year before I did, and me, we're going to be the bookends of the future. Mike Kim was already playing there. He was a longtime vet, but he was on the tail end. He was, you know, he was almost done with his career. So they had planned on having us to the bookends. Jerry Glanville was the head coach, and June Jones was the offensive coordinator. That's a couple of personalities. Exactly. Really, really true. Yeah. And from the beginning, it it really did not mesh with my play style with my my uh, my abilities um 
so many people during the draft process were concerned about my weight, if I was going to be able to keep it under control. When I had my pro day, I weighed 335, and was, you know, did everything they wanted me to do, showed them I could do it. But June Jones, the offensive coordinator, had it in his mind that I should have been lighter than that. And you know how it is. And you, you had to fight to keep weight on when you played. But I, I'm sure when. Yeah, you had the opposite problem, didn't you? Yeah, exactly right. So so it just was not conducive. After my first year, I don't remember. We didn't win many games. So that was a change. Was it, you know, it's funny. That was really hard on me. Uh, you know, my senior year. Well, you guys won, what, 11 games your senior year? Uh, 11 and 2 or something, I think your final record was. Yeah, and we lost, to, we lost to Michigan in the Rose Bowl. We lost to Wazoo, and we lost to Arizona. You lost to the Cougs in your last season. <laughs> yeah, snow game. Drew. Yeah, Drew could play. I, I remember I, he that guy could. I mean, when we were beating him up a couple times, he was still hanging in there. Yeah, no doubt. But that was the hardest thing for me when I got to the NFL. You know, we've been under Coach James and Keith Gilbertson, our offensive coordinator and offensive line coach, and things were so well run. Yeah, we weren't beat to death. We we practiced hard, but we didn't practice long. Right. You know, I, I and then I get to the NFL and I was playing for Joe Bugle mm-hmm. with the Cardinals, the then Phoenix Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Our first training camp was five straight weeks yeah. of full pads twice a day. Oh yeah, six days a week. Mm-hmm. So we would practice on a Friday. Two full pads, two-hour practices, then drive down from Flagstaff to either, you know, catch a plane to a pre. We'd go play a preseason game after six straight days of two-a-days. And I was just, by the end of camp, I was just worn down. Uh, it, it felt like I'd played a whole college season in just training camp and still had 16 regular season games to go. And at the time, the Cardinals are a much better organization now under Michael Bidwell. But, you know, it was there was some chaos. And Joe Bugle, although I liked him as a guy and as an offensive line coach, uh, he wasn't quite the head coach material <laughs> that I had had. Oh, I can test it. Had him for a year at the Raiders with, with uh, a – he was offensive line coach, and then he went to the head coach, and I was just a disaster. Yeah. We came after – Mike White was 96 when I first joined the Raiders, and Joe Bugle was 97. And we fell apart. We fell apart interiorly as a team. There was so much infighting. We couldn't beat anybody. So I, I remember. Yeah, and, and like I said, I liked, I liked Joe as a guy. Of course, he was. I grew up in D, you know, outside of D.C., so he was an iconic guy because he had coached that great offensive line, the Hogs. You know, they, had, they were like right. the stars of the team. It wasn't Joe Theismann. Oh. It was the offensive line. So when I got to Arizona, I was, you know, excited to be playing for someone who knew the position I played so well. But you know, my dad said yeah. it best. My dad was in the army. He said, you know, some people are great lieutenants, but they can never be generals. Totally agree. Totally. And that's what I found with Joe. And it was so disappointing for me. And it sounds like you had a similar experience with the Falcons where it just it just didn't live up to the same standards that we had had at Washington. And then of course we go out my senior year, we were 12 and 0 at Washington mm-hmm. and my rookie year, which I think I started, I don't know, nine or 10 games that year. We were four and 12. Mm-hmm. So we lost as many games as we had won right. the year before. And I have to tell you, Lincoln, when that season was over, I almost hung it up. I mean, it was just, the game is brutal. 
I don't know if you had this experience, but you go from college where you, you know you sort of dominate everybody you play, and then you get to the NFL, and every guy you play is as good or better than anyone you ever played in college. Without a doubt, even on the yeah, even on the yeah. bad team. So, what? How did you feel after that season, that that rookie year? Well, you know, this, yeah. So, much to what you explained, I experienced the same thing. It was a huge distraction. I mean, I remember one instance where. Uh, Glanville was the coach. It was my rookie year. I don't think we had won a game yet, but everybody was practicing on the field like we were six and zero, not zero and six or something like that. Um, and I remember we were doing eleven on eleven, and all of a sudden, Glanville was known for his, you know, classic cars. He pulls his car up on Swanee, brings it onto the field. And, and in the you're in practice while he's driving. We're in oh. practice. We're practicing eleven on eleven. He drives his car onto the practice field uh, in the afternoon in Swanee. And he jumps out of his car and he says, all right, everybody take a knee, take a knee, take a knee. So we get down, take a knee. And I'm like, what's going on? And then all of a sudden comes out, you know, gets out of the passenger seat is Johnny Cash. <laughs> so here I am, here I am a rookie. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not, I'm hating losing. I'm, I'm playing guard. I'm, I'm just trying to do the best I can. And I'm trying to figure out how we can turn things around because I've never experienced this many losses in one season, uh, let alone pretty much in the entire college career, if I, if I was not mistaken. But, um, he, he stopped practice and it was just a huge distraction. I'm like, what the hell are we doing? Yeah. This is okay, it's Johnny Cash, but you just stopped practice to show us all Johnny Cash. He's he's a you know a, a singer. What does that have to do with football? But I mean, it was it was you know news like that, guys like that, or instances like that. You know, I'm playing with Deion Sanders, Andre Risen. You know, I'm I remember one time walking in the to the uh, shower um, after practice. And seeing my center in there shaving his legs with a cigarette in his mouth, and I'm like, "What the? Because <laughs> this is this is the world of the NFL." So I, I did not like my time there um, at all. And when June Jones got the head coaching job the the year after my rookie year, well, we just clashed because he wanted, you know, he had a philosophy with you. They were running a run and shoot. And the yeah, which is a wide open, wanted, very different offense exactly. for a tackle for me, you know, they wanted, they wanted us to do what, what we call uh, extended sets, wide sets. They wanted us to set out at a 45. Oh yeah. Angle. Cause you had to open up the passing lane. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And then the quarterback had a little bit of a mini rollout to when he took the, the ball from the center, he was pretty much setting up behind the guard, either the left or right guard. So they wanted to extend the pocket, extend the cup. Well, I mean, I had issues initially with it because when we went to New Orleans, I'm playing against guys like Bernardo Turnbull, Turnbull, these guys coming off the, 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 the edge. Yeah, big elite and I'm like, ballerinas, yeah. basically, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to open myself up in an inside rush and a two-way go because you can't stop it. So I I did my best to just setting my way to protect. And, you know, it, it, it was much to the chagrin of, of June Jones. He ended up pulling me, putting me behind an inferior player that I thought – um, and making me ride the bench. It was just, you know, special opportunities that I went out there. So um, at the end of my third year, I had um, I had only signed a three-year deal. My agent had kind of foresaw that it might not work out. Let's get a deal that we can get mm -hmm. out of. And that was the year, first year of the CBA. So we had guys who were signing six-year deals, five-year deals, six-year deals. But I got a three-year deal. I took less money. Um, and at the end of my third year, I was a restricted free agent, but because I was so unhappy there, I went to Ken here rock after that season. I said, well, you either, uh, trade me or, um, or cut me because I'm never going to play in a Falcon uniform mm. again. And so that's how I got traded out to, to the Raiders. Ken had a relationship with Al Davis at the time. 
And uh, Al Davis had had his eye on me for quite some time, but I told him, he talked to him, I talked to him my senior year, and he was like, you're not going to be around when we have our pick. I think they picked 12th yep. that year. Uh, you weren't going to be around. So, but one day he said, one day I'm, I'm going to have you, you're going to be a Raider. And I came out to the Raiders in 96. You know, and uh, this this episode will drop, you know, uh, later in the fall. But I know yesterday the Raiders and the Rams had to stop practice because there were so many fights mm-hmm. during their, their co-practicing, mm-hmm. which is something most people, you know, don't, around the NFL don't – or outside of the NFL don't realize is teams get together and practice against yeah. one another. Yeah. And I'll share quickly my rookie year – uh, with the Cardinals, and I went right in as the starter. The the veteran center didn't even sign, so I had to do first and second string all through camp. Mm. Yeah, it was it was brutal. Um, but early on, the Raiders, the Los Angeles Raiders, <laughs> so we're two yep. we're two markets behind. Uh, and it was this was 1992, so this is Ronnie Lott. This is Howie Long. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, this this was a really they only finished seven and nine that year because the AFC West was pretty tough. But anyway, so it was my first training camp, and of course I'm in awe of Howie Long. You know, I'm just looking at this guy; he's just such a good looking <laughs> athlete. And um, mm-hmm. uh, Bob Golick was the nose guard, so I'm playing center. Wow! And Bob, yeah. uh, Bob and I just we got along really well. He he really respected my effort, and you know he was very complimentary. But like the Raiders and the Rams yesterday. There wasn't more than two or three plays when we were doing live scrimmage type of stuff where there wasn't just an all-out brawl. I mean, just fists and people jumping on each other. And, you know, at the University of Washington, we had a couple of fights here and there. We had some disagreements, but I never remembered just 15, 20 dudes just swarming each other. And it got so bad. That their offense, their offense, our defense was on one field. Our offense, their defense on another. We would run a play mm-hmm. and fight, and they would watch our fight. They would run a play and fight. I mean, it just became an Art Shell was the head coach of the Raiders at the time, right. former lineman for the Raiders. You know, a, a Raider yeah. great. And I could just see the disgust on his face. Just we weren't getting anything done. And then on our side, I'm a rookie. I don't know any better. Yeah. And as you know, everything is filmed during practice, including the fights. And that was something I really sort of took me back, you know, just they'd widen the camera so they could see, oh, who's running to the fight? Who's a tough guy, quote unquote, all of that. So about the second day, and I'm, you know, Bob Golick and I are, you know, we've probably hit each other 30, 40, 50 times at this point. And sure enough, another fight breaks out. So I wasn't even in in the play, and I go to put my helmet on to run in and do what I expect the coaches expect me to do. And someone grabs me from behind and yanks me, and I turn around to hit him, and it's Bob Golick. And he, and he goes, uh-huh. hey, Rook, let's go get some water. <laughs> <laughs> and we, he took me because he knew where the camera was. He took the two of us, walked behind where the camera was, and we just sat there and had water oh, and watched wow. the fight. And it was such a great moment for me because I, I was just so wide-eyed and so beat up and so yeah. tired. And here was this guy who'd been at it for a while, was a really good guy. And it sort of felt like that cartoon with the coyote and the, and the guard dog of the sheep, you know, where they right. beat each other up yeah. and then the horn blows. And good night, Bob. You know, it was sort of that thing. Exactly. But, but, <laughs> but what really was sort of a welcome to the NFL moment was the, the next day we're doing our final day of, of uh, practice against the Raiders. 
And it's just another disaster, just fight after fight. And finally, Art Shell blows his whistle, and he's like, we're out of here. We're not doing anything. People are going to get hurt. So we're all packing up to leave the field, and another fight breaks out. This is after they blew the whistle to, to cancel it. And here I am, the rookie. I got to go in there again. I turn, I start running, and one of my teammates grabs me and says, no, 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 it's between them. It's not our business. And I look over, and I will leave the name out. I remember who it was. I'll leave it out. Right. But one of the Raiders players had an elderly white-haired coach on the ground and was pummeling him as his teammates oh, were really? pulling him off. Uh-huh. And I just, just my head exploded. I was like, what have I gotten myself into? You know, and, and yeah. you know, it, it was so, uh, it was just shocking to see that. And, and, you know, it's still like that. You know, the, the, the motto, oh, oh yeah. you got to be a tough guy, you got to be in there. But, you know, you'd get those fights where you get so tired. They were such a waste of energy and time. And, and most of the time you got all your equipment on, so you don't feel anything. You know, right. and it was just, did, did you have that experience? Did you have that sort of, oh, what yeah. is this place? What have I got myself look, I, into? I learned very early when I was a Raider um, because Kevin Gogan mm-hmm. was my guard. Um, another that, Washington the, guy. And, yeah. Another Washington guy, yep. And Kevin Gogan. And when I came to 96, Bugle was the offensive line coach. And he, you know, we had Wisniewski, we had Gogan, we had Dan Turk, guys. But great group of guys, great group of guys. But one of the things that Bugle always said when we were practicing against other teams, there was quite a few years we practiced against the Cowboys and stuff like that. Um, one of us fight, we all fight. Don't let me see you not getting in there, not in the pile. Okay, so so that was that was passed on, and, and Gogs was another one of those. Is like uh, Chess McLaughlin, yeah, turned up McLaughlin, who uh was our defensive tackle and there were times when we were practicing against the cowboys and it was just like you know what i'm tired of hitting i'm tired of this heat i'm just gonna start a fight and everybody okay here we go so <laughs> we're strapped on it you know we're we're going out there going up against the cowboys and and and, and you know their defensive line their offensive line and big skirmishes just to get practice called so yeah i was a part of quite a few of those guys yeah you know that was the thing that, that sort of shocked me in training camp because in college we didn't have cuts you know, we had, right. you know, you'd, you'd see the depth chart and am I starting? Did I get moved? You know, there was sort of that internal competition of who's going to be first string and second string. But when I first got to the NFL, I remember the day before the first round of cuts. So we had 80 guys in camp and I think we were getting down to, I don't know, 55. You know, they had to cut quite a few people. And I had never been in a practice that was that intense. And, you know, we'd had some intense practice at Washington and, and we were whatever, two or three weeks into camp. But I went to a veteran. I'm like, what is going on? He looks at me and goes, dude, cuts are tomorrow. What do you think's going on? <laughs> it's just like, oh, that's right. There's only 45 guys who are going to make this team. And I was sort of shocked at the intensity level and just how hard guys were going. It was brutal. Yeah. So when you get to the Raiders, and I've, you know everything flips for you there. You, know, you go from what you just described as you know, a, a difficult time in uh, Atlanta, you end up in three consecutive Pro Bowls. You're the starting tackle in the last Raiders Super Bowl, which was Super Bowl 37. What flipped it? What made it different? What worked there that didn't work for you in Atlanta? Well, uh, you know, referring back to the great guy, great offensive line coach, and and, and one who I, um, you know, test a lot to as far as success was Bugle. When when I first came here in ninety, when I first came to the Raiders in ninety six, 
you know, he said he, he put me at left tackle, which, uh, you know, I played a little bit of left tackle in college. And then the uh, one game, then he put me at right tackle. And then he came back to me after that second game. And he says, look, you're a good left tackle, but you're a better right tackle. I'm going to put you at right tackle and that's your position. So I started the moment I hit and I put a Raider uniform on and never looked back. And, you know, the thing is, Ed, as we went on, football, it slowed down. Mm. The more I played against the mm. greats, you know, I played against Bruce Smith and Reggie White and Chris Dolman and Kevin Green and all those. I mean, I played against all those guys and the game slowed down for me. So when Gruden first came to the Raiders, Bill Callahan was the offensive line coach and the run specialist. Uh, and, um, and their system was so simple for a tackle. 95, 98% of the time you're blocking the end. Can't get any yeah. easier than that. It, it, it made me a student of everyone else and what everyone else was doing on the field. I, I, I knew routes. I knew, I knew everyone's calls. I knew I, I, I knew I became a true student of the offense and it's of, of the game. And also could realize and pick up on defenses to help me make calls, more efficient calls and stuff like that as a tackle. Or and, and so we just had success. And then that success, you know, followed in another year and another year and you know, found out that you know, went and had a nice little run where we went to the AFC Championship in 2000 and um, played played the Ravens at home and, and lost that one. But then the next rule, next year was a tough rule game, and then the following year was the Super Bowl. So you know, just had just had a, a great run towards the end of the career. And for people, I had some experience. I played for the Seahawks, who were in the AFC West when I played for them. So I had some Raiders. I already mentioned my Raiders training camp experience. Uh, by the way, I only got to try to block Howie Long one time uh, in that camp, and he completely ghosted me. He knew exactly where I was going. I don't think I got a hand on him. <laughs> you talked about all those great names. As I was a rookie, when Howie finally lined up, I'm like, oh, here goes my chance, and I snapped the ball, and he was gone. So I didn't even get a chance to sort of even run into him. But right. you mentioned Al Davis and the Raiders, sort of Raider Nation. Describe that. Someone who doesn't comes off the planet or another country – who are the Raiders? What are they about? And what was Al Davis like? Well, the first one, I only had I only played for two organizations. I played for Atlanta that was owned by the, the Five Smiths. That's a different ownership than Arthur Blank is today. Um, and I, I kind of felt that they were like a spring league. They, they were like, you know, guys would get good and go, you know, get drafted and get good and go to other teams and be yeah. stars. Um the fan base was wasn't very strong. We played in the Georgia Dome, but you know we would have you go walk into the stadium in a home game and you see far more other of the other teams. Yeah, the only sellout my rookie year was when the Cowboys came and we got resoundingly exactly. booed exactly. when we ran onto the field. Yeah, for that game. Yeah, I, I know the feeling. So, so, so you know, coming over to the Raiders, I come over to the situation where you know going into Oakland. This is the first year that they're back full time. Going into a situation where the, the the stadium is filled with these rabid fans that are all dressed up, and we used to call it Halloween on Hagenberger. Um, <laughs> it's pretty crazy if you they were crazy. Just, if, if you don't know the Raiders, just pull up images of Raiders yeah, fans. Yeah, yeah it's they, crazy. They were just crazy, and they were so obsessed with their team, and it was like, oh, this is all right. And and you know, it wasn't like we had to be good. There were times where we had just pitiful years and they would still turn out they, it was it was the it was the greatest thing that i could feel because it reminded me of our days at u-dub 
You know, when we when we were the talk of the town, we were the cream of the crop. We were, you know, that's what it reminded me of as a pro. And so I loved it. And Al Davis was, you know, was the type of owner who, well, he had stories, you know, beyond stories. He could sit there and talk your ears off for days at a time and you'll still be hanging to every word he says. But he was the type of guy that would come up to you. He, he knew he, you know, what set him apart for me, Ed, is he would come up and ask for my, ask about my wife, my kids. Mm. He knew everyone's name before he said, how are you doing, Lincoln? Mm. You know, and that blew me away that somebody of his prestige and his influence had taken such an interest in me that he knew my family. He's like, yeah, you, how's that yeah. house in Atlanta? How, you know, that type of stuff. You, you want to get a house out here? Yeah, I'm working on a sir. Well, you know, this is a nice neighborhood over here. You know, he would talk to you like that. He was just down to earth. He was just a great guy. And as it's so funny, relationship- you know, you say down to earth, I would have never put that with Al Davis because he yeah. had the look with the sunglasses. He sued the NFL. You know, you, you'd think the opposite of that. So it's refreshing to hear yeah. that no, he you was would, down to earth. would love him. I mean, he, would, he was great. He really was a guy for the players. Now, coaches didn't care too much for him because he was micromanaging. And, you know, he always thought that if he put a good team together, you know, anybody could coach them to a championship, which I didn't necessarily agree with. Um but no, he was a, he was a great guy, a great owner to work for. And and what I really appreciated is that he was a man of his word. You know, I, I you know to backtrack a little bit when I came in the trade over from Atlanta, I took less money just to get a start. And like they were okay, we're going to come in. My agent said they're going to come in with the introductory contract. You're going to make about four hundred thousand, which was less than the half that I was making for the years before. And he says. Um, by and he says Al says that if you play well, they'll reward you with a new contract. Well, after the third game, I remember watching him or coming off the field after we won, and he winked at me and he said, "You're going to be a Raider forever." And I was mm. like, "Oh, so?" And during my time there, my eight years with them, I did seven contracts. Wow. I kept pushing money, being salary cap friendly, you know, pushing money up and you know to get a little bit of bonus and checks and stuff like that. So. He took care of me. You know, uh, what, that was one of the things that um, when I got to the NFL, that was such a drastic change from being in college. Of course, we played for Keith Gilbertson, still one of my best friends in the world, and you know, really changed my life a lot. I was—I'll share with you—I was gone from Washington before Keith Gilbertson came in. I just—I didn't like the coach before him, and I was three thousand miles from home, and I was just ready to be done. And then Keith Gilbertson comes in. And while he pushed us, he did care about us off the field. I remember he used to have me in his office, and we'd talk about everything but football for an hour. How's school? How you know? Are you dating anybody? Yeah, what's that? You know, he just always had more on his mind than me as a football player. But then when I got to the NFL, and look, I get it; it's a profession. You got to perform, but it just felt like chess, and we were chess pieces. You know, it just there was no human care. And, you know, I was in an organization where we'd go through cuts and they'd cut somebody who was the best player at their position. So you you just, you couldn't figure out, well, wait a minute, if it's not about that, what, you know, what is this all about? So it's refreshing to hear that someone like Al Davis uh, did take a care off field because it can be so isolating and so in just not a human connection. So that's interesting that that's what 
helped you and solidified you to have such a great run. Cause I mean, incredible run you guys had. Oh, we did. You yeah, know. we, we certainly did. And, and you pieced things together. Um, and as I explained, Mike White was the first coach, then Joe Bugle, then, then, uh, John Gruden. And then after the tuck rule game, Gruden got traded to Tampa Bay. Uh, and we pushed. Oh, for that's right. Was college. that a trade? It was a trade. It was a wow. trade. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. We got traded to Tampa Bay and, um, then, you know, we pushed for Callahan because we were on such a roll. Uh, Offensive-minded guys like myself and Rich, our quarterback, Rich Gannon, uh, Tim Brown, and we're just like, look, let's just keep this thing going. Let's hire from within. So I uh, you know, promoted Bill Callahan, head coach. And that year we went on a tremendous run, 12-4, and four, and ended up in the Super Bowl. And look who we're facing. We're facing the one guy who knew better than we knew ourselves. So I know. I know. I, I, it was funny. I was watching that game, and, of course, you know, I was watching you and – I just thought this has got to be weird because you were playing for him the year before, right? I mean, Gruden yeah, had been yeah, your yeah. head. Gruden, Gruden and, was ahead the, the four years before that. Yep. And now you're covering him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Now you're calling uh-huh. radio games of him. Yeah. What, what's what's that been like to get to to be on? You know, you are when you're the radio voice of a team. You're not an outside broadcaster, but you still have to have you know sort of an arm length opinion. Uh, what's it right. been like covering him the second time around? Well, you know what? What's the, the level of familiarity that I have of him, having played for him, I think has really given me a leg up on covering him because instinctually and just by you know habits, I know what he's doing, I know what he's thinking, I know where he's going, and I know the type of passion that he has and when he's coaching his guys, so I can relate to that and I can try to convey that you know over the airways when I'm talking about it. But you know, this whole broadcasting thing was the, I didn't really think it was going to fall into. I got into radio and, and then found a groove and became initially part of a three-man crew with the Raiders. And when they moved to Vegas, they asked me to come with them. And I'm like, okay, that's so that, that's how we're here now. I want to go back a bit um, to college. Uh, and specifically, you know, we, we played in a place that your senior year, things sort of fell apart. Uh, mm-hmm. Billy Joe Hobart, the quarterback, found out he took a loan. Mm-hmm. There was an NCAA investigation. There was probation. You know, I look back on that time. You're you were an All American. You were the best lineman in the conference. You are a thoughtful, smart, friendly guy with the name Lincoln Kennedy. <laughs> How much money do you make if you controlled your name, image, and likeness while we were at the University of Washington? Do you think? Um, because. Seattle was a city that it was. It loved and embraced its sports, and because we were we had success um, at the magnitude, I, I think the sky's the limit. I would have I would have had a, I would have probably had something with Alaska Airlines. I would have probably had something with you know a couple car dealerships. You know what I mean? It's a, yeah. the, the image and likeness. We wouldn't have to worry about you know getting a uh, looking over a shoulder to make sure we're not getting in trouble for somebody giving us a Dick's Burger. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was the transition into broadcasting? You know, you were, I believe, the first hire, ex-player hire of the NFL Network. Yeah, yeah. The matter of fact, that's what led to my retirement. The NFL Network came to me, started recruiting me towards the, well, after we went to the Super Bowl, we decided to give it one more try. That last year was disastrous. Um, I think we won like four games. I ended up tearing my tricep. And when I realized towards the end of the season and a couple games left, when I realized I tore my tricep and the doctor said, yeah, you're going to be on the shelf for it. I was like, I'm done. I knew we were going to go through another coaching change. I wanted out, but 
NFL Network came and you know gave me a, a six-figure offer to talk football four days a week. I'm like, okay, let's make it happen. Um, but I didn't like the NFL Network as much as I thought I did because all we were was glorified yes men to Rich Eisen, who's a really good friend of mine. I love Rich. But you know they didn't give us as much freedom or as much uh, uh, um, uh, um, to-dos that you see in the NFL Network today. It was still in development stages. So we were just on stage, just always agreeing with Rich or talking about the same thing over day. It got monotonous. So then I fell into radio, AM Sports Radio, uh, with Fox Sports Radio, um, and enjoyed radio because radio was challenging because I didn't know. I was well-versed in basketball. I grew up watching basketball. I knew basketball like the back of my hand and football. But I did not know about hockey. I did not know about baseball. I did not know about golf. So it was and general so sports picked, talk that you got Yeah, into. general yeah. sports talk, yeah. So it just got it, it, it you know it made me feel good and and to to get in it and at that particular point i had no idea what i was going to do so just was in i mean i've done a lot of things since i hung up my cleats i owned an insurance agency for four years and you know did radio did the arena ball i mean a bunch of things but um i finally found my groove uh it did the fox sports radio I just actually ended up stopping fox sports radio this year but i had a 17 year run with them uh, and then just so I can uh, focus on the other things that I've got going on with uh, the Raiders radio and the college football. What was it, you know, when I got into broadcasting, I was, it was very, I was very fortunate to have some really good producers, directors, play-by-play partners who challenged me, helped me learn. What was your learning curve? How did you learn? Who helped you? What are some of the things that you do now, uh, you know, preparing for a game, preparing for a show, Walk us through that journey of, of figuring out your broadcasting process. You know, it would, it took me forever to develop my voice, as I put it, Ed, because I never wanted to be painted as a homer or a Raider apologist because I played for him. So I developed the philosophy or the ideology that if um, if it looks like you call it you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, they, they play poorly. You say they play poorly, you know, and, and don't mix any words. Don't pull any punches. I don't. I don't talk down to players. I don't say you know. There's no reason that guy should be out there. I don't call them scrubs like that. I don't do that. But I will point out if you had good plays. I'll point out if you had bad plays. If you had a good game, point out bad game. And it took me forever to develop that voice. And even when I was call, you know calling games over and you know um, the world world uh, USFL world world football league. Um, and that's when I got my first start of calling games and being a color commentator, the, the actual, you know, studying the names, learning that because the student of the game, learning what type of defense, trying to be able to articulate that as quickly as possible. You know, some producers wanted you to use a monitor, wanted you to draw a play. Some producers didn't like that, you know, so yeah. just dealing with different people, you, you went through it. So yeah. and you did it. So you, you know what I'm talking about. Well, Lincoln, this has been fantastic. We hadn't talked in years. Um, you know, I've always appreciated you as a friend, and uh, I think you do a great job as a broadcaster. And and uh, it's great it's great to hear that you and your family are doing well, and and it's good that you're on the air. I think you're great, and I think you're terrific Thank at you. the job. That means a lot to me coming from you. Uh, I have the utmost respect for you, and I've always thought fondly of your work, especially with ESPN. And I miss you too, brother. I miss you too. Yeah. Well, let's see each other in person soon. Okay. Look forward to it, man. Thanks again for being on, Lincoln. It has been good to reconnect and be reminded how gracefully you do what you do. 
Lincoln's on-air jobs. He calls Raider games during the season and adds commentary on 920 AM Raider Nation Radio. He also calls college football games on the Pac-12 Network and Fox. The cigar company he mentioned, EL underscore K Cigars. EL underscore K Cigars on Instagram is where you can find out more about that. And you can always keep up with Lincoln on Twitter at LKennedy72. At LKennedy72. Thanks again, Lincoln. Resources for this one? Wikipedia. If we all admit it, we use it a lot. And I did for this one to keep it straight with Lincoln. We make a donation on behalf of the show. We recommend you do the same. Thanks, Wikipedia. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe wherever you're listening and leave a review. Follow us on social media, Twitter at Let's Huddle With, Facebook, Let's Huddle With Ed Cunningham, Instagram, Let's underscore Huddle underscore With underscore Ed. The show's homepage can be found at Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com. Scroll through the platform's impressive lineup and then search up Let's Huddle. It's come to us. Reach out. Let us know what you think. Any corrections or people you'd like to hear from and about. Thanks. Let's Huddle With Ed Cunningham is a production of True Stories Incorporated and is edited by Ryan Lindsay of Fushaw Media. The Believe team on the Let's Huddle beat, producers Alex Tosopoulos, Joe DeLeon, and Josh Fisher. Audio engineer is Carter. Connor Haynes and Cam Rogers help out with the marketing. And my first contact with Team Believe, Ron Husenstam, the chief executive. Thanks, everyone. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.